You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Third down, inches to go. The Vader. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front. Star begins to count. Takes the snap. He's got the quarterback. He's got the Good Sunday afternoon. Welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you want to email the show, you can do that uh, by sending an email to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, whether it's Sunday afternoon you're listening to this or, or Monday uh, Monday morning, uh, you know, starting off a new work week, just want to say thanks for tuning in. And I do want to send a special thanks to uh, those who who messaged me uh, privately. And, and I got to say, man, this is impressive. Uh my uh, my father-in-law actually, uh, unfortunately, he passed away yesterday, and um, he'd been hospice care for about five days. Um, I think I'd mentioned on a, a previous episode that you know he had battled uh, Parkinson's and uh, dementia, both of which were the results of being exposed to uh, to Agent Orange in the Vietnam War, working on an aircraft carrier, and and you know more you know specifically working on uh, fighter jets, things like that. Uh, and uh, planes and and you know I don't know all the details I just know that he was um, primarily on a on an aircraft carrier that helped supply the uh, the Vietnam War. But with that being said, I just want to say thank you because somehow it's remarkable. Um, I did not tell many people at all um, that it had happened yesterday. However, um, somehow um, I'm getting messages from listeners. Uh, just saying that they're uh, they're sorry for uh, for our loss, and um, I, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And uh, it's remarkable how word spread so quickly without me really even telling anyone. And um, yeah, just just a testament to this awesome uh, awesome community that we have here with the Packernet Podcast Group. So uh, once again, thank you guys so much for that. And uh, yeah, we're gonna try to amp it up here a little bit it's been a, a little bit of a rough few days uh the good thing is you know he was able to go peacefully here at our home and he was surrounded by people uh you know people that he that he loved and, and definitely loved him and it was just making the best out of a, a crappy situation you know i guess is what it comes down to so like i said once again thank you guys for the support really appreciate it now let's see if we can do this um <clears throat> so the show today Here's what we got lined up, guys. Really, really excited. We actually got two email questions that came in, and one of which sparked a history segment that we're going to run through real quick. Uh, The other, I mean, both, really, I guess, all three aspects of these emails, of two different emails that were sent in from, you know, two different listeners, really, really is going to add a lot of value to the show today, which it always does, and and that's awesome. And I do also want to, uh, we're going to, first of all, we're going to have Jacob in. 
from Packernet Podcast, and we're going to break down weeks five through eight, a little uh, recap of last year, the 2021 season. Uh, you guys know we did weeks one through four, thought it went really, really well, got great feedback from it. I feel like people came away with a little bit better understanding of how those games unfolded, and that's the whole purpose is to kind of self-scout and look at what the Packers did good and bad last year and uh, and kind of see how the stage is set going into this season. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hit on that, but before I do, I want to mention something I'm very excited about, and that's the giveaway we got coming up guys. Um, if you were following me on Twitter, you already know this. Um, if you're not on Twitter, I want to be able to get you guys in on this, uh, this little giveaway that we're doing as well. And I'm trying to think of the best way to do that. So if you're not on Twitter and you're hearing my voice, I think the best way to handle it would be to email me. If you'll just email me at you know Packers Total Access at gmail.com and say, hey, I'd like to be entered into the contest, um, we're going to be giving away one indoor club seat ticket for Monday Night Football against the LA Rams. And that indoor club seat is obviously um, it's going to be in the uh, the end zone. It's it's where I typically sit during Packer games, and we've got an extra ticket that we want to give away to a listener. So here are the giveaway requirements, okay, the entry requirements, I should say. Um, That tweet that is pinned on my Twitter account, it's going to stay there until this raffle is done, okay? uh, The goal is just follow Packers, at Packers underscore access, and retweet that tweet that is pinned to my profile. That will enter you into the drawing to win this ticket. And what's really cool is I'm going to be at the game. Uh, my wife's going to be there. She, we go everywhere together. You'll, you'll find that out real soon. And also Jacob from Packernet Podcast will be there as well. I know Sam Holman from Packernet Podcast and Wisconsin Sports Heroics will be in the house. He's going to be sitting outside, so you, you may get a chance to maybe shake his hand and meet him face-to-face. It'll be really cool. So we're all kind of converging on Lambeau for that game, and this is a chance for a listener to check that game out with us. Now here's what's cool. The ticket is valued at $450. That's what I paid for that extra ticket. Um, So if for some reason you're halfway across the country and it doesn't make sense to come, um, the ticket's still yours. I'm going to figure out how to get it into the hands of uh, of whoever wins the raffle, whether they want to come to the game or not. And and that drawing will happen on August 5th, so I'll get that Ticketmaster ticket transferred over to whoever wins that contest. And if you want to sell it, uh, bingo. There you go, man. You should be able to get, you know, anywhere from three to probably $500, depending on how long you wait. And, um, it'll still benefit you in that way because I do understand not everybody could make that trip. However, I'm really hoping that someone wins the contest that can, uh, that can make it to the game with us. I think it would be a really cool experience just to get to know a fan and, and it's a way for us to give back. Now, here's the other thing though, guys, if, if you want to be entered into the sweepstakes multiple times, and I really, really suggest this because it's for a great cause. You know, you've heard Ryan talk about Drew's seizure service dog that we've got a GoFundMe set up for. Well, he is, uh, within, I think a little over a thousand dollars. I think it's like $1,200 away from his goal. If I remember correctly, it, for every $5 that's donated from this date forward, you'll be entered into that contest one extra time. So, yeah, And that's unlimited amount of times that you can donate $5. You may pop up and say, all right, I want to donate $100. Well, that'll put you um, on top of the, the first, you know, just because the retweet and the follow, that entry. Um, that'll also get you 20 more entries, which obviously really ups uh, the chance of you winning that ticket. So just keep that in mind. It's going to a great cause. And uh, also will give you a, a greater chance of winning winning that ticket. So there's that. Again, 
If you're not on Twitter, email me and say, hey, I'd like to be entered in the sweepstakes. And then, of course, if you make a donation to Drew's uh, Seizure Service Dog uh, GoFundMe, then we'll recognize the name and be able to add you in multiple times. So we got to get moving here so we don't run out of time. Again, I apologize for the low energy. We're going to try to amp it up here. But, uh, yeah, here we go. So first email. I was really excited about this. I Once again, it's a history segment that's going to spark here that I knew nothing about. But Andy Monday has emailed the, the show before, and he always – uh, brings great, great content. Um, he was kind of talking about some personal stuff on the front side we won't get into. So I'm going to jump right ahead to the second part of his email, which said, One more note about Jerry Kramer's gut splinters. You guys remember we talked about that. I believe some of the splinters are on display in the Packers Hall of Fame locker that is a part of the museum. Um, so that's really cool. We're going to look for that when we're at Lambeau this year. He said, Second, I recently read a bit about a two-way player, Joe Laws, and his incredible performance in the 1944 championship game victory. It might be the greatest individual championship effort of all time. That might be a a bit biased of me. This thought is one I ponder every offseason, and it might be more useful during training camp. I call it the, quote, one-off. Essentially, I'm trying to figure out which players will make other players better. For example, if the Packers use Quay as a pass rusher, Kenny Clark is is uh, his one-off because Kenny's play will help Quay's success. Uh, there are lots of lots of these scenarios that are interesting to, to consider. Enjoy the attached picture of my youngest son and a Packer legend we met at the pro shop at Lambeau. And it's got a picture of his son with the, the one and only Leroy Butler, which I love Leroy Butler. He's an absolute class act. So um, let's do this. Let's jump into Joe Laws here. I actually found an article by Cliff Crystal, the uh, team historian, and this is really cool. It says Joe Laws um, was a, a, a back from 1934 to uh, 1945. He was 5'9", 186, went to college in Iowa. And it says Laws wasn't flashy enough to make an all-pro team, but he was one of the most valuable and versatile backs of three of Curly Lambeau's NFL championship teams. That was clearly on display in the 1939 and the 44 title games. In fact, so much so, if MVP awards had been given at the time, Laws most certainly would have won one, maybe two. In 1944, he intercepted a championship game record three passes and rushed for a, for a team-high 74 yards on three attempts as the Packers edged the New York Giants 14-7. Five years earlier, Laws scored on a 31-yard touchdown pass preceded by his own 30-yard punt return and also set up Tiny Igenbretson's field goal with a 15-yard return as the Packers... Yeah, 15-yard return as the Packers erupted for 20 points in the second half to beat the Giants 27 to nothing. Laws also played on the Packers' 1936 championship team. In 12 seasons, Laws accounted for 2,973 rushing and receiving yards. He also intercepted 18 passes uh, from 1940 to 45 and unofficially another 21 in his first six seasons before interceptions were recorded as an official statistic. Interestingly, Laws shared the right halfback position with Arnie Herber for much of the 1930s. Despite their contrasting styles, Laws called signals and rarely threw the ball. Uh, Herber was a great long ball passer, but didn't call signals. Laws' role was more of a runner, receiver, and blocker in Lambeau's Notre Dame box offense. Uh, But he also had a commanding presence, and it produced results when he was directing the team. Uh, if Laws had a signature play, it might have been the short side reverse. He also played a feature role in the kicking game. He was both an elusive punt returner and a trusty holder. 
Uh, because punt return stats weren't kept until 1941, toward the end of Law's career, he was officially credited with only 46 returns for 339 yards, an average of 7.4 yards per return. Unofficially, he had many more over the next uh, seven seasons. That said, Law's career less about numbers and, than intangibles. He was fondly nicknamed Tiger by his teammates and once described as, quote, his, the Dutch uncle to the younger players. He was like a father to me, said former teammate uh, Ted Frisk. He took us over and cared for us. He was one of the smartest signal callers, said former teammate and fellow Packers Hall of Famer uh, Harry Jakunski, I believe is how you say it. Um, he had a sense of calling the right play at the right time. He was a better play caller than Lambeau defensively. Uh, he had really good instincts. If two guys ran down and split in different directions, he'd go with the guy they were going to throw the ball to. He was just a smart football player. The Packers announced Law's signing on February 8, 1934, after Lambeau had scouted him in the East-West Shrine game. Uh, that was two years before the first NFL draft. A left-handed passer, a left, uh, left-footed left kicker in college, Laws was named the most valuable player in the Big Ten in 1933 and was pursued by several NFL teams. Laws announced his retirement on January 7th, 1946. In all, he played 123 games and started 58, including 52 at right halfback. Other than the eight games he missed in 1940 after suffering from what was feared to be a career-ending knee injury, Laws missed only five games in the other 11 seasons. In 1944, at the age of 33, he played a full 60 minutes in a game at Detroit because of an injury to Lou Brock. Uh, born June 16, 1911, in Colfax, Iowa, given given name Joseph Roy Laws. He died on August 24, 1979, at the age of 68. Guys, that is an amazing story that I knew nothing about. I mean, that guy dominated when the stakes were high. You're talking about he intercepted three passes in one game, and that same game he had 13 carries for 74 yards as they beat the big, bad New York Giants. So, what an awesome, awesome story. Thank you so much for that email, uh, Andy uh, Andy Monday. We really, really appreciate it. Now, going back to your other question where you talked about what players would quote one off uh, for another player, right? Like how how can uh, certain players' emergence or their, you know, their just their experience or, or what have you, you know, their role in the defense or offense can play um, a role in helping another player succeed. And I'm going to go real quick here for the sake of time, but the ones that come to mind for me is Jair Alexander. You know, Jair Alexander being healthy, we've seen what the defense did with him, uh, you know, not in the lineup most of the year last year. I think Jair Alexander with Stokes on the field, and think about, you know, the stat we read off about Stokes where it was, uh, you know, the percentage in which uh, the receiver he was covering was actually open. You know, if Stokes really is playing that great man coverage and playing that sticky, sticky coverage, right? And Jair Alexander is healthy, and we know how quarterbacks like to avoid him. I think those two together equal a huge opportunity for Russell Douglas. You know, Russell done great last year. But with all three of them healthy, if, uh, you know, God willing and the creek don't rise, they stay healthy all year, I think Russell's going to have a great chance again against uh, wide receivers that are definitely less talented than him. Another one is something that Jacob rung up the other day with T.J. Slayton. You know, the coaches are saying they're looking to play T.J. Slayton a little more at the nose uh, this year. 
get him into the lineup a little bit more. And if indeed they do they do that, then that's going to be Kenny Clark is going to be freed up in better matchups across the defensive line. So I think that'll be one of those one-offs, right? And then, of course, you mentioned Quay Walker. And the way that I've seen Quay Walker, you kind of made it sound like Kenny Clark would benefit from Quay Walker. But I also think that, uh, that you know, or I'm sorry, you said that you said that Quay Walker would benefit from Kenny Clark, but I think it's going to be kind of the other way around too. If they do bring Quay Walker up into the A and the B gaps, and it causes that offensive line to have to change on the fly, I think what's going to happen is it's going to free Kenny Clark up and give him some more isolation against one-on-one blocks, which we know what Kenny can do with that. So uh, those are just some that come to mind for me. Andy, again, thank you so much for the email, man. That was a a great topic. Once again, had no idea who Joe Laws is, but uh, now I know, and, uh, and you guys are just you're you guys are just great with being bringing these topics up where i learn something as i have to dig and study it so that's really good stuff let's move on to the next email here and we're going to go kind of quick this is from pastor nick he said clayton enjoying the shows thanks for all your hard work a quick thought as you continue on with the quote self-scouting series you mentioned on monday the possibility of splitting out uh, Aaron Jones more as a pass catcher this year because of how successful he was in the past. I agree with you in principle about moving around on the all around all over the alignment, but my memory of last year was that when teams put a true DB on on uh, him, he was not very effective. I remember him torturing torching linebackers, um, but not so much uh, once a team put a corner on him. Uh, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. So my suggestion is to watch it uh, as you, quote, review the tape of last season and then maybe comment on the show. Blessings, Nick. Well, okay, Nick. So as I went back and started to dig into the tape, it was going to be very, very time-consuming to get you that answer. So luckily, we have our awesome, awesome leader of Packernet Podcast, Ryan Schlipp, who is great at, at digging some of this stuff up for me when I ask from time to time. So I certainly appreciate his help with this. What I asked him to do is I said, you know, Ryan, is there any any source that we have that will show where when the ball was thrown to Aaron Jones, what position was covering him and was it a completion or not? And that's exactly what he came up with. It was kind of more his idea to, to mold it that way. But when I presented the question that's the solution he came up with so we have those numbers and i'm telling you i was pleasantly surprised i kind of agreed with you when i was talking about splitting him out wide i wasn't necessarily thinking okay let's get him out wide and put him one-on-one with a corner i was thinking all of the pre-snap motion that the packers did where it did free him up on wheel routes and things like that and you always remember the big plays right you never remember the little nickel and dime but um one thing i did learn when i was digging into this myself is he had a monster game against the 49ers in a divisional playoff game we don't think of that because of how the game ended but wow what a game aaron jones had so um, now to answer your question here's how the numbers broke down i'm going to go by by position of which um that he was thrown at the most when when a position was covering him okay linebacker um, he was thrown at 37 times while being covered by a linebacker, and 28 of those passes were completed. So pretty good success right there. When he was covered by a safety, though, check this out. He was thrown the ball 17 times, and of the 17 times, 15 times he caught the pass. So way, way better results against the safety. When he lined up in the slot, whether it was pre-snap motion, but when he ran his route out of the slot, which meant there was most likely a slot corner that was covering, whether it was a, a safety that plays that nickel back or however a team likes to play, you know, all teams are different in that regard. They have those sub packages. 
when he was in the slot, he was throwing the ball 13 times, and it was completed 11 times. So 11 for 13 against the slot. And here's the big one right here. It's not it's not a huge sample size, but what you were saying there, I agreed with you, Pastor Nick. I was like, man, I don't remember him having a lot of success against corners. But according to the numbers, if if I'm reading the email, uh, you know, from the research that Ryan Schlipp sent me, he was uh, throwing the ball five times while being covered by cornerbacks, and all five times the pass was completed. So the one thing I know is if you broke that down into completion percentage of Aaron Jones when he was throwing the ball. And man, it was effective. So I'm really, really excited about keeping him and A.J. Dillon on the field at the same time this year. What I want to see some of is rather than the majority of the snaps being nickel, or I'm sorry, 11 personnel, I would like to see that go from the 60s and 70s as far as percentage and maybe take that down to as low as 50% and then have you know anywhere from 30 to 40% of the snaps be out of uh, 21 personnel, which you guys know 21 is two running backs, one tight end, and be able to have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the field even more often. I think that would be very, very beneficial for the Green Bay Packers. So thank you so much, Pastor Nick, for taking the time to uh, to email us and ask us that question. It was great. I really appreciate Ryan taking the time to dig into that. But once again, man, that's something that I learned from the question. I did not realize Aaron Jones was just that effective. Uh, you know, in the passing game, but wow, he was. And I, like I said, I believe it was like, I know he had well over 100 yards receiving in that divisional playoff game, and he had nine catches, I think. As a running back, guys, nine catches, that is amazing. Everybody likes to look, likes to look at the negative of how the ball was forced to Tay, and I've been as guilty as anyone on that. It's frustrating, right? Alan Lazard only had one catch, but we also forget that they were dumping the ball off and, and flexing Aaron Jones out and taking advantage of that. So, uh, yeah. So, Nick, thank you for the email, man. Really, really appreciate it. Um, that, those were two great emails that add a lot val- add a lot of value to the show, so we certainly appreciate it. Now, guys, we're going to take us a quick commercial break and uh, pay a few bills here. And then when we come back, we're going to have Jacob come in, and we're going to do our week five through eight self-scout from last year and kind of break down what happened last year. Uh, for the Green Bay Packers, uh, like I said, weeks five through eight. So uh, let's take us a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, joining us now, friend of the show from Packernet Podcast is our very own Jacob. Jacob, how you doing this morning, man? Oh, man, I'm doing good. It's a uh, Father's Day. It's a little early for us, um, a little earlier than normal, but I'm up. I'm ready. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, if you guys aren't aware, we, we got up uh, extremely early here on Sunday morning to record this segment. You know, everything is kind of a, a jam-packed weekend with Father's Day and, and all kinds of other festivities going on. I know Jacob's been cooking enough uh, – enough barbecue up there in Wisconsin to feed an army. So he's, uh, he's kind of, I don't know, working at both ends, right? <laughs> so, yeah. all right. So let's jump right into the self scout for week five through eight. I'm, I'm really excited about these games. Obviously we rattled off four wins, but let's start with the Bengals here. And I, I don't think anybody knew Jacob that, that the Bengals were going to represent the AFC, you know, in the, uh, in the Super Bowl there. So this was one of those games that when they won it, I was somewhat disappointed kind of coming from the perspective of it's the Bengals. I mean, come on. And then lo and behold, you find out that they're one of, if not the best teams in the AFC, which was really cool. But anyway, the Packers come out with a 25 to 22 win over the Bengals on the road there. And, uh, you know, you guys know that the, the things that are most important to me when it comes to wins and losses are the middle eight and turnover differential. If you didn't join us for the last, uh, you know, uh, self-scout recap of, of weeks one through four, what I mean by middle eight is the team that wins the score in the last four minutes of the of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And the other thing is turnover differential. So when you look at it, the middle eight, Jacob, it was a push. Uh, it was a tie seven to seven. And then the turnover differential, Green Bay won the turnover differential two to one. And when I dove into this game, man, so once again, first of all, we are at 100% success rate with the team who wins either both of those or the majority of those, seeing that I think we've had two games now where one of those two categories was a push, they always come out on top. So I'm really eager to see if as we go through the season, is that 100% success rate with that formula. But when you look at the PFF grades, Jacob, um, what I noticed in this game that stood out to me was uh, on offense, the positive was definitely the receiving score. So between the receivers, tight ends, and backs for the Green Bay Packers, they had a great receiving score of 83.4. They really, really carried the load. You know, Rodgers played great, but the thing that stood out on offense was definitely that. The negative aspect in offense was the run blocking. They just could not get the running game going as far as from a blocking standpoint. The grade was 49.2. Then on defense – they're, uh, they they really didn't play that well at all on defense. Overall, PFF grade was only a 62.9. I mean, not horrible, but, you know, definitely not good. Uh, their positive was a tackling grade of 70, which we kind of seen that trend throughout the entire year. The Packers really tackled well after Joe Barry came on as defensive coordinator. And the negative aspect of that game was actually the coverage grade of 59.0. So what stood out to you in this Bengals game with the 25-22 to 22 victory for the Packers? Yeah, man, I mean, it's uh... – like you said, there was a couple of things I wish we could change, but it was definitely a receiving game. I mean, Jamar Chase had six receptions for 159 yards and a touchdown. Our very own Devontae Adams, 11 receptions for 206 yards and a touchdown. And like you said, it was just a little bit shocking to see that the Bengals were really in this game the whole game. And now we know why, obviously, like you said, as they finished the season the way they did. Um, but I mean, we were pretty much 
like you said, my, my whole thing is I always look at turnovers, time of possession, uh, that kind of thing. The, the, the time of possession was almost dead even. And like you said, the, inter- uh, the turnover was just two to one. If, if it wasn't for the turnover situation, if we would have had the same amount of turnovers or obviously if they would have won, I think this game would have definitely switched the penalties. We only had two for 10 yards. They only had two for 21. Um, the red zone attempts we had, <laughs> we only had two out of five that we scored on. They were two for two. So again, if, if, you know, they get a few more attempts, who knows how this game ends up. Um, one of the other things that I thought was, this was the Mason Crosby, give me a heart attack. I want to move away and never become a Packer fan again game. Exactly. <laughs> if you remember this dude, just, <laughs> I mean, I think this, I remember I told you last week how I got like that, um, the first official write-up. I tried to find it. I don't think I could. I think I might have cleared up my Gmail, but this game had to, I had to at least get like a verbal warning because I remember screaming because it was Crosby missed with 200 or two minutes and 12 seconds left to win the game. And then again with three seconds left. And then I believe he did miss again in overtime as well as missing two uh, point after touchdown attempts. <laughs> so I just, again, it was just insane. And I remember just like, I think I texted my brother like four different times, like, this is it. We're done. Like, I can't do Crosby anymore. This is over. And obviously he went on to have a, a great rest of the year. And um, I love Mason Crosby. I always will. But that game, oh my God, dude, just put it in and just, <laughs> just <Yeah>. win. <laughs> exactly. And if I remember correctly, is it Evan McPherson? who was their kicker that, that almost set a postseason record. Didn't he struggle in that game as well with the win? Well, both of them did, yeah, because, I mean, I think the win was just ripping that game. So, um, yeah. another really cool quick thing was um, they were talking about how this game, for whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers, usually when he has under 2.5 seconds to throw, he's 12 for 17. Um, he only had two explosive plays for whatever reason in this game. When he had 2.6 seconds or longer, he was 15 for 21. He had nine explosive plays. I mean, the guy was just usually like when Rogers kind of pats the ball, you'd think that'd be a good thing. But for whatever reason, sometimes he overthinks it. I think he's forcing it to Devontae, whatever it may be. But in this game, I mean, he was just killing it the more time he had. So that was kind of encouraging to see. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely shows up in the stat column, too. Aaron finished at 27 of 39 for 344 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. Obviously, if they didn't have that pick, they probably win this by a couple scores, but just like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, if if the uh, turnover differential had been tied or in uh, Cincinnati's favor, I mean, it, there's no doubt in my mind the Bengals would have came out on top. The other thing that stands out to me before we move on to the Bears game is, you know, they had a very, very low run blocking grade there, the Packers did, yep. and Aaron Jones still had 14 carries for 103 yards, average 7.4 average 7. yards. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, that really, really tells – Tells a story. I'm going to tell you right now, Jacob, I don't know why, but I came out of last year thinking that Aaron Jones didn't have a good year, and I was totally wrong. I went back really and – did. Yeah, I, I went back and looked at the the numbers and, and kind of uh, crunched the tape a little bit on the on that loss to the 49ers in the playoffs, and he had a ball game in that game. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh, it went off. So it's just amazing how when you watch a game – and it's the whole reason we do this self-scout and this recap is because when you watch the game in real time, especially on a loss, you want to move on quick. Everybody does. But it's it's uh, when you go back and look at it, you really start to see what actually happened, and it kind of gives you an idea of what the coaches are probably trying to uh, trying to improve on going into training camp. And that's really the whole purpose of this segment. So good stuff, man. Let's move on to the Chicago Bears. Um, this was Week Six, and uh, yes, yeah, so the Chicago Bears. This was, if I remember correctly, this was in Chicago. Is that right? Uh, I, I think. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. So this was the I still own you game, I believe. <laughs> yes, it was. It is. Yeah. So there's the yep. touchdown. So the Packers came out on top 24 to 14. When you look at the middle eight, the Packers won the middle eight three to nothing. I'm telling you guys, it sounds so minute. When you talk about a, a team outscored the other just three to nothing in the middle eight, but it's huge. It's the momentum that's carried into the second half can can really be a game changer. But anyway, they they won the middle eight three to nothing, and they also won the turnover differential battle one to nothing. So both of them about as minute an impact as you could possibly think of, but still the Packers come out on top by two scores there, 24 to 14. Now, when you look at what stands out uh, as far as PFF in this game, um, <clears throat> the positive for the Packers were definitely the running backs. So you're seeing back-to-back games where, um, where you know, Aaron Jones in the running game, as far as the running backs themselves, come out and really carry the load. I mean, you're talking about an 88.8 rushing grade. So both he and Dylan went off in this game as far as production. You may not some necessarily see it in the stat column, but what I love about PFF is how they really grade, you know, what the responsibility for each individual position is and how they perform given the situation that's presented to them as far as their teammates either, you know, overperforming or underperforming in what their task is on, on every uh, individual play. Now, the thing that stands out to me as a negative on offense was definitely the pass blocking. I mean, you're talking about a 51.6, and I don't think it's any coincidence that the play that stands out in our mind is Aaron Rodgers scoring that touchdown and saying, I still own you, <laughs> probably running for his life the entire yeah. game. I would imagine he's probably got several carries in this. We'll look at the stats in a second. But going on to the PFF on defense, what I the note I have for defense was the defense was just bad. They were 61.1. I mean, that's uh, it's you, when you're flirting with the 50s on PFF as a as a defense as a whole, not a good look. And it, it really says a lot about Justin Fields. I'm trying to remember if Justin Fields actually played in this game. I'll look at the stat column. Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. so I mean that that says a lot. He didn't do he, well. He was sixteen for twenty seven, one hundred seventy four. He had a touchdown and one interception. So yeah, and when the defense scores that low, and and you still come out ten point favorites or yeah. ten point, you know, I mean that's that's not a good look for the quarterback. So the main thing that stood out though was the run defense too. The the Packers run defense played horrible in this game. A forty eight point eight was the grade. So the fact that they beat the Bears by ten points and you had such a bad defensive performance really, really says a lot about the state of the Bears. But what what stood out to you in this game, man, other than I still own you? <laughs> yeah. So Rodgers did end up having seven carries. It was only for 19 yards, but he'd have a touchdown, obviously. Um, so Running for his was, life, he was, wasn't he? <laughs> he? I was going to say, he, he was scrambling, that's for sure. Um, the other thing that I thought of right away, again, I just love the quote about Rodgers talking about about how he blacked out and he just looked up into the stands and he saw an old lady giving him the double bird. <laughs> so he just, he said the first thing that just popped into his head was basically shut up. I still own you <laughs> to an old lady, <laughs> which I just think is awesome. That's my, um, quarterback. That's my quarterback. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you look at the the breakdown, I mean, honestly, I mean, the first downs, Green Bay had 22, Chicago 21, passing first downs 10 to 10, rushing first downs 10 to 10, first downs from penalties 2 to 1. Uh, we were pretty much, like you said, matched even. Even total yards wasn't that far off. It was just the fact that we we kind of beat them by about five minutes from the uh, time of possession, and we had the turnover battle beat a little bit. And um, like you said, I mean, Fields did not play great. One thing that I noted was Mason Crosby. He was one for one, but he was three for three on extra points. Perfect day because he needed that. He needed to just wipe away whatever the heck happened last week in Cincinnati or with Cincinnati and just move forward because obviously that can create a bit of a panic if that 
that were to fester. And then real quick, the injuries, uh, Josh Myers had to be hop, hopped, helped off the field again, I think for the second consecutive week in a row. And then uh, Elton Jenkins returned after missing a few games with an injury. Savage leaves with a concussion after the first play from scrimmage in the second half. And um, basically you can kind of see the writing on the wall as to how a lot of those guys, you know, Myers ended up being hurt. Jenkins ended up being hurt. So it's, <clears throat> seems like those guys were kind of dealing with that on and off throughout the season. And we kind of forget that as we look back, but. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, <clears throat> when you look at, you know, the stats uh, across the box score, the, uh, the thing that really stands out, you know, we talked about the running backs grading out so well, Aaron Jones, 13 carries for 76 yards, average 5.8 yards a carry. AJ Herbert, Herbert did great too. Yeah, for sure. AJ <laughs> Dillon, 11 carries for 59 yards, 5.4 average. And then uh, on defense, this is what I'm talking about, guys. I just read off to you that the defense graded out really, really bad, right? I mean, it, this was one of their worst performances of the year. And it would be easy to watch this game and say, okay, Dean Lowry had a sack. Kenny Clark had two sacks. Jonathan Garvin had a sack. Yep. When you look at that stat line, you'd be like, wow, the defense really showed up. But when you grade it play-by-play play the way PFF does, I'm a firm believer in you – know, Darnell Savage had a pick as well, right? He had the interception. Yep. When you look yep. at it from play-in, play-out, they just weren't consistent. That's what I love about PFF is the over. if there's anything you come away from with PFF and looking at their grading system, it's they're going to show you whether someone or an entire team was consistent or not. And I love that because I think that's the most important thing in football. So – Real quick, Clayton, one thing I just wanted to know is, okay, here we are. What is it, week six or seven? Week six. Six. And Kingsley Kiki is still a major contributor. He is every week that I've watched or, you know, obviously uh, reviewed. The guys in the top five, maybe top three for tackles, playing times, uh, snaps played. I don't get what happened with him. I don't understand how he just went from being a contributor, starter, role player to just getting cut. So, I, yeah, I just, I'm with you, man. And and really, you you know, you mentioned a comment last week, and, and it could be one of two things. When you talked about how they were going to look to play T.J. Slayton more at the nose mm-hmm. to kind of free Kenny up, I'm wondering if they were looking at it from – it's it's one of two things. It's either, yeah, Kenny could do a much better job than Kingsley Kiki. If Kingsley Kiki is having that kind of success um, with – you know, with uh, with Kenny Clark playing nose in the base. And I haven't looked at the, the defensive front that close for this game. I'm just kind of, you know, speaking, you know, from a broad perspective. Um, either either he had a falling out with him, he didn't like his role and wanted out, or, you know, in my opinion, it could have been the coaching staff going, yeah, man, I mean, if we put TJ there and we, we were able to slide Kenny over into the spot where Kingsley Kiki excelled at at times, Kenny's going to dominate. So, you know, it's kind of a – I know what you're saying, man. Like he, uh, I don't think Kingsley Kiki's a bad player at all. It's easy to look at players like that that are no longer on the roster and say, "Oh, they didn't work out. They missed on that one." But I think where's? Do you know where he's playing now? I have no idea. I thought he went to Houston. We'll have to maybe talk to JJ. I think that I, I, I might be crazy, but I think that JJ told us that his sister, Kingsley Kiki's sister, texted him and like or messaged him, DM'd him, and basically explained the situation. So we'll have to dig into that again. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, anytime a Packer leaves, as long as they're not leaving like a turd, like a Zedarius. Great Jennings. Exactly. You know, I I like to root for them personally. But, you know, when you feel like they kind of burn the bridges going out the door, I don't think it's a coincidence that they usually don't have any success anywhere else. It's not that the Packers were the secret. It's just simply the Packers aren't going to keep people like that on the roster that that do cause Mm -hmm. problems. And I'm not insinuating that was the way it was with Kingsley Kiki. They may have just agreed to disagree and moved on. 
but uh, definitely, definitely need to dig into that a little bit, like you said. So, all right, moving on to <clears throat> week seven. I'm going to call them the commanders. You can call them the whoever. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving on. I'm pulling a Bill Belichick. I'm on to the commanders. I'm going to use that name so I don't screw it up anymore, and I definitely don't want to offend anyone with the old name and this and that. But week seven, Washington commanders. Uh, the uh, the Packers come out with a 24 to 10 victory. So you're seeing here in back to back weeks, uh, you know, two two score wins here. Uh, the middle eight, Green Bay dominated the middle eight, 14 to nothing, and then uh, they also won the turnover differential, two to one. Now, when you look at the PFF grades, the big thing that stands out to me on offense that's a positive was uh, was definitely the passing game. You know, the passing grade for the Packers, uh, Aaron Rodgers, 84.2. That is elite. Um, unbelievable performance there. But then you see the running backs kind of take a step back. Um, 46 to 46.2 was the grade. And it's funny that, you know, most of the time coaches, when they prepare for an upcoming opponent, what they do is, yes, they look at the last, you know, several times that they played that specific team, but they also typically look at a four game saturation of the previous week. So they went back and go, okay, what were Green Bay's previous four weeks? Okay, it was, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Bears. Okay, what did they do good? Okay, well, the running game, 65.3, 78.8, 72.6, and a 88.8. I guarantee you what they did was we've got to stop the running game if we're going to slow this team down. So, boom, they come out. They slow down the running game. Running backs, 46.2 is their PFF grade. Lo and behold, Aaron Rodgers takes over. That's the beautiful thing about Aaron, whether you agree with his personal stances or not. The dude knows how to adjust in game, and uh, he's that guy that you want, that if someone says, hey, we're going to stop the run, He's going to come out and take over. He's going to take control. I love that about us. So um, on to defense, the uh, the defensive grade was fairly well. Sixty or a seventy six point eight was the defensive grade. The thing that stood out was definitely the pass rush, a seventy eight point one. They kind of carried the load, but you seen the run defense take a step back at a fifty four point two. So across the board, passing game stepped up. Running backs got uh, got kind of stonewalled, and then on defense, the pass rush kind of came into its own but the run defense, um, it looks like Washington came out and said, you know what, we're going to stop their run and we're going to run the ball was their goal. But, you know, like I said, the middle eight, 14 to nothing, scoring at the right time, and then turnover differential two to one, the Packers come out on top 24 to 10. What do you think about this commander's game here? All right, so this Washington game is very <laughs> interesting. Um, I mean, it really is, though. Every single stat, I mean, so for us beating them 24 to 10, I mean, just real quick, I'll run through a few of these. So they had – they beat us by 130 total yards. We uh, only lost the turnover battle by one. Washington had two. We had one. The time of possession, they had 32, basically 33 minutes to our 27 minutes. They had 25 first downs versus our 19 first downs. They had 15 passing first downs versus our 16. They had nine rushing first downs versus our two. And I mean, if you look down the line, I don't think I've ever seen a game where they basic, basically crush us on every single stat. They had 195 rushing yards to our 57, and we still, sh you know, sh schmucked them. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because, uh, again, we only lost the time of position by five minutes. We had 20 total less plays, and we still controlled the game. I mean, I've looked at a lot of different things, and basically that, that just doesn't happen in most games. Heineke ran for almost a hundred yards. He had almost 10 yards rushing. He had, I think, uh, 10 carries for uh, 94 yards or something like that. He was a massive Brett Favre fan when he grew up. He even did a Lambo leap afterwards, trying to run for a touchdown that actually got reversed 
when it showed that the replay that his, uh, his knee touched right before that he crossed the goal line. And on the fourth goal uh, attempt, he fumbled and couldn't regain possession. I don't know if you guys remember that. It was pretty sweet to watch. <laughs> uh, the Packers that game, they wore the throwback jerseys. That was the first time we got to see them in those that year. If you guys can hear my dog and cat, they're absolutely freaking out at each other. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, they're just wrestling each other right now. Um, That's so sorry. But uh, again, Another thing was the uh, Kevin King couldn't play that game. And this was a big one. Preston Smith, the only game of his career that he's ever missed. He couldn't go against his, his, his former team, which I was just so sad about. The guy was chomping at the bit. And this was actually the Jalen Smith game. You guys remember Jalen Smith? He was in there. He had one tackle. So that's great. Um, and again, yeah, it was just such a weird anomaly as far as what stats usually show when you look at back at this game if you were to read just the stats and not see the score you'd probably think that green bay lost that game so it's just interesting exactly and the thing that stands out to me in the stat column is like i said aaron Rodgers had a great game protecting the football he was 27 to 35 274 with three touchdowns no picks but the receiving aspect of this game this is what's cool Devontae Adams, six catches for 76 yards and a touchdown. He was targeted seven times. Robert Tunyon, four catches for 63 yards and a touchdown. He was targeted five times. Mm -hmm. Alan Lazard, five catches, 60 yards with a touchdown. He was targeted six times. So let's remove Devontae Adams from that stat column. This is what it would have read. Tunyon, 63 yards and a touchdown. Alan Lazard, 60 yards and a touchdown. Now, if you took those and split them over, you know, let's say three receivers, those 76 yards that Devontae Adams had, you know, that's going to be roughly, let's see, let's let's just call it 20, 25 yards a pop. Alan Lazard most likely would have came out with seven catches for 85 yards and who knows, maybe two scores. I think Alan Lazard is going to be um, definitely, uh, he's definitely going to be the number one target for mm -hmm. uh, for Aaron, but I think you're going to see the ball being spread around, and you've seen that in this game, Jacob. I mean, you're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different targets that uh, that that uh, Aaron Rodgers completed passes with, and he actually threw to nine different targets. So uh, I'm excited to see. Now, AJ Dillon had a fumble loss. Obviously, his PFF grade is going to take a bit of a hit there, but uh, yeah. So overall. Again, that's for all the people that like to hate on Rodgers, man. This is one of those games. If you don't have Rodgers and, and that running game gets stuffed the way it does, you may be looking at another Kansas City game, seeing that, you know, Jordan Love obviously isn't isn't where we want him to be. I still think he can be the quarterback of the future. But these are just one of these games right here where Aaron Rodgers took over. And thank God we had him on the team. So um, well, go ahead. Real, real quick. I just realized that this is the biggest stat that we could have noticed here. Um Wet Washington, they were 0 for 4 in the red zone. And I just saw a little note here that up until this game, that Packers opponents were literally perfect in the red zone as far as scoring. So this was a huge game for our defense, and which is what the reason I think that obviously that we were able to get away with the victory, even though the stat line looked so skewed. Yeah, no, it's it's huge, man. And I actually had somebody ask me one time, you you talk about the middle eight. But, you know, how is that? How can you put that on paper? How can you actually prepare for that? It, to me, it just sounds like it's it's oh, well, it just happens to be the, the luck of whichever team scores at the right time. That's not the case at all. Bill Belichick, I'm going to talk about him again. My opinion, the GOAT, <laughs> the thing that he teaches the most, the thing that he coaches on the most is the two minute drill. And that's why he does that. He, 
you know, your, your entire coaching staff throughout the week is preparing what you call your opener plays, right? Your opening drive and then your second half opening drive. Well, the other thing that he practices the most other than uh, the DBs playing the ball and being able to create that turnover differential is that two-minute drill and that four-minute offense. It's huge to him. So that's how you can kind of prepare for that. You were talking about, you know, red zone efficiency. That goes right along with what what kind of what level of importance does the coaching staff put on those two minute drills? And when you got a quarterback as long in the tooth as Aaron Rodgers is, man, you couldn't ask for a better situation in those specific you know moments of the game for sure. So um, good stuff, man. We're, let's move on to the Cardinals game. This was what I called the heart attack game. I'm sure you would agree. Um, They're all heart attacks. Man. It was hard to watch. <laughs> That last drive, Jacob, was hard to watch, man. I was like, this is going to suck. And as soon as he let the ball go, I I was watching A.J. Green the entire play, and I'm like, this ballgame's over. He has got to beat. And it just – I will say, as much as I love that play by Rasul Douglas and, and, you know, it it was a heck of a ball, you know, a play, a reactionary play to to catch that interception, that was kind of a fluke, (laughs) just to be honest. Like, yeah. If AJ Green gets his head around this ball game's over and the Arizona Cardinals are celebrating, but neither here nor there. The uh week eight Cardinals, it was a win, 24 to 21, still counts, right? Middle eight, Green Bay won the middle eight, seven to nothing. And then when it comes to turnover differential, this is the huge stat, guys. We're talking about a three-point difference in this game. And yeah. Green Bay won the turnover differential three to nothing. So if that if that is just if that's just two to one, Green Bay wins that. There's a chance they lose that game somehow, and we're mm-hmm. going okay. Well, it was a push between those two categories, and that's why it could go either way. But like I said, Green Bay seven to nothing in the middle eight, three to nothing as far as turnover differential. The thing that stands out to me in this game on offense for the Packers is definitely uh, the running backs again. They got the running game back on track as the running back uh, grade was an 82.0 elite grade on PFF. The receiving really took a hit, though, 56.1 was the receiving grade. And then on defense, you had uh, overall just a bad performance by the defense with a 52.3. And the thing that really stunk the most was the coverage grade. Isn't that funny that the play that stands out to us the most, the last play was Rasul Douglas, a timely play there with the interception in the end zone. But the coverage grade was a 46.3 for the Packers. So a win's a win is a win, right? 24 to 21 Packers. What do you think about this? Again, this was another kind of a little bit of an anomaly game because, like you said, if it wasn't for those three turnovers, I don't know, dude. We got the total yards, Green Bay, 335, Arizona, 334. The time of possession, Green Bay had 38 minutes versus uh, Arizona's 22. First downs, Green Bay, 24, Arizona, 22. There was actually even, if you remember, when you go back and watch, there was a first quarter touchdown that uh, that Hopkins had, but he stiffed-armed Stokes and got an actual offensive face mask penalty. If you guys remember that, they had to have the touchdown reverse, which, you know, I'll take it. But when I watched it again, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. You know, if that went the other way, I'd be definitely really, really upset about it. So in addition to that, yeah, I mean, Razul Douglas, this is his game. And like you said, I watched it. I was, when we talked this morning, I was just kind of looking over the Arizona tape and that was a gift. That was, I mean, don't get me wrong. Razul had to make a great play on it and he adjusted well. And I love the little, wave he he did to the crowd afterwards it was great um but it was it was a little bit of a gift aj green definitely um kind of you know what the bet on that one so um and then there was another rare special teams play this game i don't know if you remember bahorquez had a great punt and my man ty summers downed it like on the two yard line i believe 
Of course, um, that was followed up by a, a field goal because, if again, if you remember, Mercedes Lewis had an amazing one-handed grab. Rogers threw a yes perfect pass over the middle. The dude went up. I mean, the the sideline went crazy. The crowd went crazy, and then it got reversed because right. <laughs> so then we had to settle for a field goal. But I mean, it's so great watching big dog move like that. So, yeah. um, and then real quick, the injuries. Kingsley Kiki left the game in the third quarter with a concussion. Kylan Hill was carted off the field. I think believe that was the game where he had that real bad injury on the return. And then Tanya was hurt in the third quarter. So again, just shows how we kind of stack those those uh, injuries up. And man, I just when I look back and you you really look through it and you read through it like it's tea leaves kind of thing. Imagine if some of these injuries didn't happen. I mean, we don't think about it, but Kylan Hill was a big deal on our our special teams. Robert Tanyan was a big deal. Um, a lot of these guys, obviously, our offensive linemen. Like we, who knows what we could have done? Yeah, completely agree, man. Completely. <clears throat> when you look at the. Uh the running statistics here, the thing that stands out to me is as the Arizona Cardinals continue to turn the ball over, the Packers were like, we're just going to keep running the ball. We're going to keep mm -hmm. controlling the clock. A.J. Dillon, 16 carries for 78 yards, averaged 4.9 yards a carry. Aaron Jones, 15 carries, only 59 yards, but he did have a touchdown, uh, 3.9 yards a carry. So you see A.J. Dillon have a little bit better performance than Aaron Jones. Just shows the value and a change of pace back there. You also had Amari Rogers showing up in the rushing. I was column. I was going to say that, and I know it's just one rush, <clears throat> but that I swear, if you go back and watch it, I mean, I just watched it like literally Huge a few point. minutes ago, so I'm a little biased. But you you see what Amari Rogers possesses: the speed, the level of balance, the way that he puts his head down, that he can read blocks. The guy is a really good football player, and I think that we really need to stop the hate on this dude. Like, he had – what did you say, Clayton? Didn't he have, like, 11 plays from scrimmage as far as, like, something like that? Give him that. Something just very, very low, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Um, I think I think we're – I think he's going to silence the haters this year. I don't think he's going to come out and be a number one receiver, but I think everybody's going to go, oh, okay, we've got <laughs> – We've got us a legitimate receiver here. I think he's going to yeah. have a good year. Everything I've seen of him, it shows that. If you remove the special teams gaffe, um, his tape does not look bad. It doesn't. It's just a minute amount of snaps, like you said. But, um, yeah, when it when it comes down to looking at the numbers, two things that stood out to me, like I said, was, was the rushing game and the fact that, um, you know, actually a, a few things here. With the rushing game, uh, A.J. Dillon had a little more success on the ground, but Aaron Jones was the leading receiver. You know, Devontae Adams – uh, you know, it was it, now. Did he get hurt in this game? Was he out this game? Am I thinking? He, right? Oh, so here's what it is. He and Lazard were COVID protocol this game. That's it. Yep. Got it. So I forgot about that. Yep. Aaron. And Jones. this is where I actually fell in love with Juwan Winfrey. I know everybody does not like him because he had another fumble that was costly. This dude, I'm telling you, this guy is going to be good. I'm telling yep. you. And when you look at it, man, we we were without what we're saying is our number one receiver this year and definitely a superstar receiver in Devontae Adams. And what did Aaron do? He spread the ball around to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different receivers. Aaron Jones led the way seven catches, 51 yards. Dude, I talked about earlier in this episode of uh, you know, a listener asked, could Aaron Jones really split out wide at times and how successful it was he against specific positions. And the numbers were staggering how, how well he did when they did Ooh. get him the ball. And even against corners, I think if the numbers are, are showing correctly, he was five for five when covered by a cornerback. Now I'm not saying wow. we're going to split him out wide and give him access to every, you know, every route on the tree, but he's definitely a legitimate option there. And you can see Aaron leans on him. Gave him 11 targets that game. So uh, on yeah. defense, as we wrap this segment up, 
Uh, Devondre Campbell had a sack, two tackles for a loss, really showed up against uh, good. the Cardinals. Yeah, and then Dean Lowry again with another sack and a tackle for a loss. Um, Dean Lowry, man, I, I hope that he makes this roster. Uh, I'm not interested in saving that short-term money. I would rather have his veteran pre- uh, you know, presence on the defensive line and adding depth. And obviously in a contract year, you're going to get the best Dean Lowry that we've ever seen. So we're out of time, Jacob, dude. We crushed it. Uh, you, I mean, you nailed everything right on the clock. Thank you so much for your time, dude. And next week, I'm really looking forward to diving in, starting with week nine. Yes, sir. Well, it's good to talk to you. Everybody have a great Father's Day out there and uh, stay safe. All right. Take care, pal. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for taking the time to listen to the show today. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun to put together. I want to give a special thanks to everyone who reached out to me. It means the world uh, to us. Uh, Andy Monday, thank you for the uh, email question and and topic to talk about. Really, really cool. As well as uh, Pastor Nick, thank you for taking the time to email the show as well. So, guys, as we wrap up, just want to remind you about the giveaway where we're going to be giving away one club seat, uh, indoor club seat ticket for the uh, Packers-Rams Monday Night Football game again to enter that if you'll just go to my twitter handle and it's uh, at packers underscore access if you follow the account and retweet the uh, the tweet that's pinned to my profile talking about the giveaway okay uh, that's going to enter you into the drawing um, one time and then for every five dollars that you donate if you want to enter into the sweepstakes uh, any additional times there's an unlimited amount of time that you can do that it's five dollars donation to the gofundme on drew's page you can see that link right there on that same tweet um for everybody who donates five dollars to that that cause there to get drew his seizure service dog um you're going to be entered into the contest one more time so again there's no limit until we reach that goal and i think we're roughly twelve hundred dollars away until we reach that goal you can enter in as many times as you want and we'll have the time stamp of when you entered that way you can be uh you know entered into the sweepstakes for for actually uh, making that donation so you know you go in there and you donate twenty dollars that's going to get you four additional entries you're going to be sitting in indoor club seats for the monday night football game in december it's going to be cold weather but it's going to be roughly 67 degrees in there you got vendors bringing beer popcorn food brats you know uh cheese curds whatever Whatever it is you want right there to your seat it's uh, very very easy access elevator right to the top of the stadium you also have uh, upper deck access if you want to go outside and just experience the elements a little bit you can stand underneath the scoreboard and overlook from a bird's eye view it's really cool you can see over the top of the stadium off into the distance uh, through the town of Green Bay. It's just a beautiful, beautiful setting. We sat there last year for the Seattle Seahawks game and uh, indoor, and then we went up top for the flyover and all that, and it was really cool to see the snow fly from up there too. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to hanging out with you guys and, and watching a game with you. Like I said, several of us Packernet podcast guys are going to get together and uh, do a little bit of tailgating beforehand. You're invited to that as well. But uh, the main thing, guys, is we want to get this uh, this Twitter account a little more uh, a little more noticed. I, I know that there's a lot of people that don't know about the show and they don't know about Packernet Podcasts, and we really want to get that promoted out there um, a little bit better. So it does that for us, and it also allows us to be a blessing to Drew and, and helping him get his seizure service dog. And you guys know, man, anytime that you got a chance to win a, a free $450 uh, in value ticket to watch the Packers play at Lambeau, oh, by the way, it's the defending Super Bowl champions, and donate to a good cause as well it's just win-win for everybody so with that being said guys thank you so much for listening to the show um, as always let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pack go
Roadhouse.